want to talk to you about what it means to make peace with one another. And as I look out, you know, in the crowd of people who were here, uh, this may or may not be applicable to you, okay? What I have found is typically, as a person is older and more mature in the Lord, uh, there, are, uh, there tend to be less conflict that is like lasting conflict. And so um, if you're just like, been through it, keep going through it, just sit there and smile and nod, it'll be good. It's still God's word. And so it's still gonna uh, do what it accomplished uh, tonight. But I wanna talk to you about the, the concept of making peace. We're gonna be reading from uh, Philippians chapter four, verses one through three. Uh, let's read this together. Paul is writing back to the church at Philippi and he says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. And I plead with Eudia and I plead with uh, Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, he's talking to the person he's writing the letter to, and yes, I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the, of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers, whose names are in the book of life. Now, Father, uh, we come to you tonight, and uh, we just pray that the Holy Spirit would teach us from uh, not only Paul, but the situation with these two women who were in conflict. And my prayer tonight, Lord, is that you will speak to our hearts individually, that you will give us tools and resources uh, from the scripture that we can use, and, and frankly, just practically, that we can use to make reconciliation, to make resolution, so that we can be the body of Christ that you've called us to be. So please help us, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. You know, from, from the beginning, there has been conflict. You remember even in the garden, we're not really sure if Adam and Eve had conflict at some point in the garden. We do know they were married, so there was probably conflict at some point in the garden, but we're not sure about before the fall what things looked like, but we know that at some point there was conflict between the man, the woman, and the serpent. Uh, which followed uh, conflict between the man, the woman, and uh, God himself. And this conflict has just kind of carried on throughout human history. It's part of our DNA. We see um, immediately following Adam and Eve, they have sons, a young man named Cain, a young man named Abel, and uh, they have you know, some inner things going on. There's some jealousy and there's an internal conflict at the very least, which manifests itself into an external conflict and Cain actually murders his brother, Abel. And so throughout all human history, we, we have dealt with conflicts. This is why there are wars and there are arguments and there are debates and people pick sides and people draw lines. All of these things, it's because it's who we are. It's, it's part of our fallen nature. The reality is this though, every single person who exists on some level though, there lies within us a longing for peace with other people. That's where this, this, this longing comes from. This is why one of the, the key identifying markers of Jesus, the Son of God, is the Prince of Peace. He has come to bring peace. He's come to bring stability, not only peace between people and the Father, but he's come to bring that we might have peace with each other. And so 
as we realize this, we've, we've got to realize that, you know, conflict looks different in a lot of different areas and a lot of different lives and a lot of different ways. Sometimes there's conflict that comes up and it can just be, you know, remedied by a quick conversation or, you know, a misunderstanding that, that's fixed really quickly. Other conflict, um, you know, if you've ever had a long-term type conflict with another person, there may be times where, man, it just seems like everything's fine and everything's good. And then other times there is like this un unspoken, like underlying tension that you're not really sure if I, if I say this, am I going to set off an explosion? You know what I mean? You're just not really sure. And then there, there are just things that, you know, relationships that some of us have that, that even though there, there, is, there is peace at times, that it's an ongoing event where sometimes it's peaceful, other times it's contentious, we're just not really sure, but there's not this sustained peace. And so what Paul and the Lord call us to is to be advocates of peace. Uh, Jesus called us to be peacemakers. Um, we are to be people who, it, it, as, as Paul would say, that we should be people who make every effort as, as best as we can to live at peace with everyone. And so tonight I want to uh, just kind of uh, talk about how to settle peace. We'll get into some practical things here, but the reality for all of us is this, is that you know we, we get into arguments and disagreements and frustrations with people for a lot of different reasons. Sometimes it's just relational. Sometimes you just don't like another person. Has anybody ever met somebody you just don't like them? You're just like, I don't know what it is about that dude. I just can't stand him. You know? I've never been like that, but I've known people who were like that. You find people that, you know, just have conflict because of their political ideologies. There are some that have theological misunderstandings where there's disagreement. Um, the way that people raise their children or the way that people, you know, operate in their marriage or the work ethic that somebody has just on and on and on. There are so many different reasons and possibilities for conflict. And, and what we've got to understand before we really get into this is that we'll get to this later, but, but I need to say it up front, is that there are some things in life that although they feel uh, contentious to us, are not necessarily, they don't necessarily need to go through this conflict resolution. We have to be people of wisdom, we have to be people who are discerning, that are wise when we pick and choose our battles. Does that make sense? In other words, there are some things you just need to let go. Okay, there are some things that we need to deal with. And tonight we're going to talk mainly about the things that we need to deal with. But really the, the bottom line is this, when an issue or when some, someone has done something or you just feel, you know, uncomfortable in the situation, when the issue becomes sustained in your heart and you sense a, a moment of division that's come between you and another person, that's when it needs to be addressed. Okay, when especially if you're talking about a person, uh, a brother and sister, in, or brother or sister in the Lord, when when there is something between you that you really can't articulate, but there begins to be this separation, this division, um, that's when we really need to pay attention and make strides, because as we'll talk about later, that can create some really gnarly things deep within. And so we had these examples of the New Testament. Um, writers and characters. You see Paul, he goes uh, to Peter. There are two tremendous leaders in the early, you know, in the early church. Uh, I know that we always refer to Paul when we talk about the New Testament and, you know, leadership because Paul wrote so much of the New Testament. But the reality is this, until, you know, halfway through the book of Acts, Peter is the leader of the church. 
Peter is the guy. Peter is the one that, that everyone is looking to for advice and leadership. And there comes a certain point when, when Paul and Peter are both, you know, they're not competing against one another, but their leadership has both grown, their influence has grown. And there's just something that rubs Paul the wrong way. He, he has this encounter with Peter and he noticed that Peter's kind of being two-faced. He's acting one way in front of Jewish people and he's acting a totally different way in front of Gentile people. And it bothers Paul so much and he realizes like this is an issue within my heart and it's causing something for me to want to stay away from Peter. It's causing a level of, of conflict. And so what I need to do, I need to address this issue with Peter. Now, I will say this. I'm not sure that Paul took his own advice when he dealt with Peter the way that he dealt with Peter, okay? Um, uh, Peter, uh, Paul was a very direct man very type A, uh, some would even classify him, you know, especially in his early years as a little bit hardened almost in his relationships. But he went to, he went to Peter, he said, Peter, this is bothering me, you're being two-faced. And he rebuked Peter, he said to his face, I rebuked him. Even in the life of uh, Jesus, we see as he's journeying along with the disciples, there are moments where the disciples will say something stupid. You know, he's like, Lord, should we call fire down and destroy all of them? You know, and the Lord's like, whoa, 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 you know, no, you know, don't be dumb. And the Lord kind of graciously goes, but he confronts them. And sometimes the way that the Lord confronts his disciples, it, I mean, man, it would hurt my feelings. You know what I'm saying? But the point is simply this is that when issues arise within our heart and there begins to be something that's noticeable over a period of time or it's causing separation between me and my brother or my sister in Christ, at a certain point, I need to deal with that. I need to figure out the best path and how to deal with it. Paul is writing here to the church at Philippi and he notices that there's this conflict between these two women. Now, we're not given a lot of detail about you know, what this conflict is about, but here are just some things that we can observe and we can kind of deduce and kind of figure out um, a, a few just really things to help us understand the context of the situation. Number one, what we obviously know is that these two women are Christians, okay? Now, that is, that makes a tremendous difference when you're dealing with conflict, okay? If you're dealing with a brother or sister in Christ, you deal with them differently than you deal with someone who is outside of the faith, okay? But these two women are part of the body of Christ. What we think is that they probably were a part of uh, Paul and Silas's first journey to Philippi in Acts chapter 16. These two men, they go in, there's not a church there, there's not a Christian influence there. The Bible says on the Sabbath, they go down to the river because that's where people usually gather to pray. They go and begin to share the gospel and there are women there and women begin getting saved and all of a sudden you've got a church plant. The church is exploding. There's growth. There's all this stuff. We believe that the seeds that were planted in that moment, even these two women may have been there in that moment, but at the very least, the seeds of this moment where the church is planted, this is where these two women come from. So we know that they're both believers. Number two, we know that these two women were influential in the church. Paul makes this statement. He says that they were co-laborers with me in the gospel. In other words, Paul is giving qualification of their service to the Lord. It's a sincere work. It's a fruitful work. 
And Paul, as a leader, understands this. He understands that because these two women are influential in the local church body, that if they don't get this rift resolved, that it could just kind of boil over. You know what I'm saying? Um, my, my kids love mac and cheese and hot dogs. It's one of the best meals ever, right? And super cheap in this economy, okay? So the other night I was cooking mac and cheese for my 86 children and uh, I noticed something. You, you know, if you leave your mac and cheese for too long while you're cutting up the hot dogs, all of a sudden like the, the boiling becomes like this foam type thing. And if you're not paying attention, what happens? It boils over, right? And this has happened to me many, many times and it creates this mess. And then, you know, you've got all this, you know, fluid that's like hot on the stove and it just creates a, an absolute disaster. Paul is smart enough to understand that if he isn't able, metaphorically speaking, to kind of turn the temperature down on this situation, that there is a risk that this is going to boil over. There's the, the threat of alliances being formed between these two influential women. And then ultimately there's, there's uh, you know, the possibility of a church split. And so what Paul wants to do, he wants to get really ahead of this. And we, we understand that this is probably a pretty severe situation. I mean, I want you to think about this. The guy that has brought the letter to Paul while he's in Rome, uh, that journey is about an 800-mile journey. Now, if I'm going to visit somebody by boat and by foot that is 800 miles away, when I sit and have coffee with them, okay, I'm not shooting the breeze. I'm talking to them about the most pressing, important things that are on my heart and on my mind. And it's obvious that this man has communicated to Paul that there is a, a, a budding issue that's within the church. And it's so severe. It is so severe that Almighty God found it appropriate enough to put it in his eternal word. And so there is this, this moment of sobriety and realization for Paul that this could really get out of hand. And so these women need to take care of it because they're uh, pretty uh, influential in the church. Number three, what we realize about the women is these two women were divided probably over some type of relational issue. Okay, so this, the problem that they had with each other, it was, I can just about 100% guarantee you that it was not a doctrinal issue. They probably were not arguing about the deity of Jesus or the sacredness of the Old Testament scriptures or how somebody defines marriage. They, they probably were, were not having that kind of thing. And the reason I say that is because Paul never shied away from addressing theological error in any of his writings. He didn't care if it was men, women, children, elderly. He didn't care. He was willing to deal with theological error. And so that kind of leads us to this understanding that it was probably just this internal conflict between the two. It doesn't really seem like a sin issue. Or again, Paul would have probably called it out. I mean, we, we can't say that conclusively, but based on all of his other writings, I, I feel like it's a pretty safe assumption there that he didn't shy away from those type of things. So it could be a thing where these two women, they were just personality conflict. You know what I'm saying? Like two opposite ends of a magnet. They just can't get along for whatever reason. It may have been something a little more personal. You know, like, um, they may have been like washing pots down by the river one day and 
one of the lady's children came over and broke one of her pots and she kind of smacked the kid on the butt or something like that. And then the other mom got all upset. Uh, it could be something like, I mean, it could just be so many different menial things. We're just not really sure what it was, but we're pretty positive that it was kind of on, on a personal, more relational level than anything else. Okay, so that's what we know about the women. Okay, now Paul steps in as a leader and Paul once again gives us an absolute masterclass on leadership and how to lead the flock of God. Um, Paul's leadership, he begins as he's talking about the situation. You guys listen to me. He, this is like three sentences, it's like two sentences really where he addresses this whole situation, but there's so much there to unpack. And the first thing that Paul does is he deals, he addresses the situation with a compassionate heart, right? So he goes and he specifically speaks to each of the women. And he says, I plead with you by name. And I plead with you by name. Make this right with one another, you know? And if you're a student of Paul's writings, what you remember is that some of the language is pretty similar in the book of Philemon. You remember the book of Philemon is uh, about a slave named Onesimus. The slave has left his master, um, Philemon, and he's found Paul in Rome and he's become a Christian. He wants to go back home, but he's afraid that his master is going to hurt him or kill him or whatever the case is because he's taken things from his, his master and all this kind of stuff. And so Paul writes this letter back to the slave owner. And this is what he says. He says, oh, Philemon, I love you. You're a brother. You're so good. You're trustworthy, all this kind of stuff. And he says, listen to me. Our common friend Onesimus has now come to faith in Christ. He's now not just a person in the streets. He's now a brother in the Lord. And Paul goes into this thing with Philemon and he says, listen, I could demand that you receive him as a brother. But because I'm your brother and even like a spiritual father, I'm simply just going to appeal Please make this right with Onesimus. And so instead of Paul just stepping in and saying, look, I'm the leader in this. You need to make it right. You need to apologize. Make it happen. No, what Paul does is he appeals to the spiritual family of God and he pleads with them, please make this right with one another. So he addresses the situation with a compassionate heart, but he also does it with a sense of urgency. Twice, uh, different translations, you know, relate it differently, but twice he says, listen, I plead with you. Other translations say, I urge you. In other words, like, don't let this thing fester. Deal with this situation as it is so that it doesn't become what it should not be. And Paul wasn't just saying, you know, uh, uh, look, you need to go make it right with her or you need to go make it right. That's not what he was saying. He was saying, listen, you both need to come together and you need to make this right. One of the worst things that we can do when we're dealing with conflict is have one-sided apologies. You know what I'm saying? This is when a person, they come and they say, you know what? I know we've had our conflict. I've said things, you've said things. And listen, I'm just so sorry. And the other person says, okay, good. And they're like, walk away. You know, no, that's, that, that's, that's not, even, even if you were not at fault, okay? It's, it's still, there's a courtesy that, that's there when someone apologizes and if you've done any level of wrong, the road of humility says, just go ahead and apologize. Apologize for your part so that we can come together and we can make things right, okay? So there's a sense of urgency there. He wants them to do it right. 
But he also brings value to them. He says, listen, you guys are co-laborers with me in the gospel. So again, this is a leadership role where, where Paul is saying, listen, sweetie, you are so valuable in the kingdom. And what you don't understand is that you're going to limit your influence if you harbor bitterness in your soul. And so he wanted them to understand the weightiness of the work that they have done. Like, don't spoil the work that you've done because you can't resolve this issue. No, let's come together. Let's settle this so that we can move forward and we can continue to be co-laborers with the Lord. And then finally, number four, uh, as far as Paul's leadership goes, Paul brings eternal perspective into the conversation. I love how uh, he phrases this. He says, you know, he talks to him. He said, these women have been so faithful. They've contended on my side in the cause of the gospel, them and other people whose names are written in the book of life. Like we read that and we're like, that's awesome. No, listen, that's wisdom. That is, that is an anointed man uh, filled with um, leadership and filled with love and compassion, wanting his flock together because this is what he's doing. He's saying, listen, I know that you have, you have an issue right here, but what you've got to understand is that you are eternal beings and you need to settle this on this side. We, we've got to understand, especially in our culture, we, we've got to understand that, that when you disagree with someone, even if, especially if they're a Christian, it does not mean that they are losing their salvation. You will still see them in heaven one day, okay? Because it's not about what they did right or wrong, it's about what Jesus has done right for them, okay? And so we've got to understand that, that we're all, you know, as brothers and sisters of Christ, in Christ, we are all brothers and sisters and we need to figure it out, okay? Um, I think what Paul is really trying to communicate here is that, listen, it's fine if you want to have disagreements, but you've got to understand at the end of the day, sisterhood should triumph over all of your opinions, okay? And man, is that a word that we need in this era. As we need, in this era, in this era, okay, that's filled with error, uh, we really need the grace of God to be able to do that. I'm going to tell you, as we approach another election year, and, you know, you can, you can sense the tension beginning to rise. And, man, we just need an incredible dose of humility. We need an incredible dose of discernment and love for one another and the wisdom to be able, the maturity to be able to navigate these very difficult waters so that it doesn't breach our relationships with one another, but we stay close in, as brothers and sisters in Christ. So our role as the church, when it comes to conflict resolution or, or reconciliation, it's, it's important that we understand, like, you know, when the Bible, when, when the writers of scripture, they're talking about uh, the Christians, they, they talk about the body of Christ. They talk about the bride of Christ. They talk about the army of God. They talk about spiritual family. And there are times where, you know, the writers, will, they will say, here are your responsibilities and all these different types of things. You're to love, you're to encourage, you're support, edify, encourage, push along, you know, all of these types of things. If we're not careful, um, we can get so concerned with Man, I, I got to make sure I say this well. We've got, we can get so concerned with being nice that we never make reconciliation when we've got stuff in our hearts. Okay? Now listen to me, please. Please don't go start a bunch of fights. Listen, dude, I saw you in the hallway. Just let's deal with this right now. No, that's not what I'm saying whatsoever. I'm just simply saying this. 
Um, I, I think that sometimes in order to make peace, there has to be initial conflict. There has to be like, we have to address, there's a problem, nobody's talking about it. We've got to deal with this thing head on. Otherwise, it's just gonna be this unspoken frustration instead of just saying, no, let's come together and let's figure this thing out one to another. Sometimes we feel like keeping, you know, just keeping it quiet and keeping it at peace, that that's actually doing a work. And sometimes that may be necessary, but I think that should be the exception to the rule. I think there should be such a, a unity and a love among us that we're willing to, to talk about difficult things with one another. So one of the things that's often neglected in the body of Christ is accountability. And partly this is because we have become such an isolated society, right? I was reading a book years and years ago, I can't even remember the name of it, but the author was basically saying there's never been a time in human history where we're so isolated, you know? And he was talking about how you, you know, you go to work and you sit in a cubicle and you take a lunch break that's different than somebody else, or you go and sit in your car and then you clock out of work from your cubicle and you go get in your mini coop and you're all by yourself for a 40 minute drive home. You get to your house and you pull into the driveway and you shut the door so you can't see your neighbors. And then you go into the house and it's not open. You have your own little room and everybody's got their own little room. Or you may go outside in your backyard, but then you put up a fence because you don't want your neighbors to see what's going on. And he was just building the case. We live such incredibly isolated lives. And I think because of that, we have built these, um, these emotional or maybe even you know, spiritual walls inside of us where we are only allowing people to come so far, right? And uh, listen, I get it. There, 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 are lines, there should only be a certain number of people that should be able to get to the innermost part of your being. But I'm just saying there should be people. And I think that there should be times where we have a vulnerability within the body of Christ and we let other people into our lives and especially I think that's true with accountability, okay? This is what Paul said to the Galatian church in chapter six. He said, brothers and sisters, if someone is called in a sin, okay, now, now he's talking specifically about sin, not necessarily interpersonal conflict, but I think the principle still remains. If someone is called in sin, you who live by the spirit, understand what he's saying? Uh, let me rephrase that. For those of you brothers and sisters, if someone is called in a conflict, you who live by the spirit, in other words, you who are the more mature, should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. Carry one another's burdens and in this way you fulfilled the law of Christ. And I think that we've, we've tapped into this culture that says, well, listen, nobody should be able to judge. The, the Bible says not to judge. Friends, that is not a New Testament teaching. I don't, I don't know where, well, I do know where we've got that. We've taken text out of context and we've created our own doctrines. That is not a doctrine of the New Testament church. Listen to what, what Paul writes here. Um, I believe he's writing to uh, the church in Corinth. This is what he says. He said, it isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders. You understand that? He's saying it's not my responsibility to judge the sinners, but it is certainly your responsibility to judge those who are inside the church who are sinning. God will judge those on the outside. You understand what he's saying? He's saying, listen, let God deal with the sinners. But, but see, we get that backwards. We judge the sinners and, and we don't judge one another. And, and you understand that word judge, it just means to hold accountable. It doesn't mean to come down on somebody. But he's saying this, certainly in the body of Christ, there should be accountability. 
Certainly you should be able to call someone out if they're living in unrepentant sin. Surely you should be able to approach someone if they've offended you. Surely you should be able to do this. Those of you who are in step with the spirit, those of you who are spiritually mature should be able to do this, right? Um, so we, we've got to understand that, that when things are lingering with, within us, we need to be a people who are willing to pursue peace, okay? Um, let me bring a little bit of clarity here. Uh, the Bible talks about us being in, in unity of spirit or having one mind um, together. And I, I just want to I, I make this distinction here. I don't think just because you disagree with someone about something that, that it's calls for you to go have conflict resolution. Okay, that, that's, that's not, I think something has to be at a certain level for you to really be, I think a lot of things we should just be able to overlook and move on, okay? But there are some things that are worth quote unquote fighting for. There, there are some things I, I wanna fight for my relationships with my brothers and sisters. Um, I think that when scripture calls the church to be in one mind or in unity, I don't think what the scripture writers are talking about are all these peripheral issues, okay? I don't think, you know, what Peter is saying when he writes about this is like, listen, you all got to agree on the color of the carpet, okay? Be in one mind, like, like be in step with the spirit. That's not what he's saying. That's a peripheral thing that really doesn't matter. What he's saying is he's saying, listen, about the things that are most important, the essentials of the gospel, make sure you are all in one mind when it comes to the virgin birth of Christ, that you're all believing the same thing about the sinless life of Jesus, that you all believe that he died uh, an, an atoning death for all of us. Let's, let's all make sure that we're in step with one another as we believe in the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus that forgives us from our sins. Let's make sure we're in step with those but oftentimes what we do is we kind of set those aside and we make assumptions and we say, yeah, we're all operating off that, but let me tell you what I'm really mad about. And we'll go to all these preferential things that really carry no weight. They really are not substantial in the body of Christ. It's what I call, you've heard me do this teaching if you've been here a while, but it's what I call the three tiers of theology. Uh, there should be a core of theology, the things that I just talked about, that we believe that Jesus Christ is God. We believe that um, you know, he was born of a virgin, that he lived a sinless life. We believe in the in inerrancy of the word of God. There are certain things that we're just like, dude, we're not gonna budge on these. Like, I don't care how hard you push, how hard you hit, we're not gonna budge on these issues. But then there's another layer that you know, we can like, we see differently on, but they're not the core of what, what you know, we believe. But then, you know, you've got that third layer way out here and it's just like, dude, what? Like, you, why, are you, why are you upset because, you know, uh, the pastor wore, you know, sweatpants instead of a suit? Like that, that, that has nothing to do with anything. What are you talking about? And so we've got to make sure that we're majoring on the majors and we're minoring on the minors and we need to ask the spirit of God to help us as we do this. Um, most, uh, most of these, the, the issues that happen within churches are not, issues of an eternal or an ultimate issue. Most of them are very interpersonal. Most of them are someone said something and hurt my feelings. Most of them are, I don't like your ministry philosophy or, you know, whatever the case is, they're, they're very much on that, per, you know, peripheral out here and we need to be wise and discerning. 
I'm not saying we can't have conversations about those things and, and we shouldn't talk about those things. I think we should, but we also got to understand where that place is for those things, that they're really of no consequence at, uh, when it's all said and done. Am I making sense here? All right, good. Nobody's tense. Here we go. Come talk to me afterwards if you're tense. All right, here we go. Uh, Paul, uh, trying to help them understand, uh, understand again that, that disagreement's fine, but we understand that family is the most important thing, okay? So the question comes up, well, why should I deal with, with conflict, okay? And I, I think this is obvious that unresolved issues breed more issues, Okay. Now, I want to show you a fascinating trajectory uh, that Paul wrote to the Ephesians. I mean, you guys know, sometimes we read the scriptures and, you know, they'll use a whole bunch of big words and we look at those words and we're like, they all kind of mean the same thing. They do not mean the same thing. And I love in this portion of scripture that Paul is literally saying words that build upon other words. This is what he says to the Ephesians. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Now, this is what he's saying. When you begin to break this down and you begin to really understand the translations, this is what Paul's saying. He's saying, when you allow bitterness to come in, it develops wrath in you, which is like an inner type of rage. That's what this, this term here, when he says wrath, it's not an external wrath, it's an internal rage inside of us. That internal rage becomes a settled anger. You know, you can be angry for a moment and then it passes, but when you've got bitterness that you allow to evolve, it becomes a settled anger in the soul that settled anger then becomes indirect expressions towards other people. This is when I begin to ignore other people. This is kind of when we're passing each other in the halls of the church, I kind of stiffen my shoulder. You know, you don't do that, but I've seen people do that. It's the indirect expressions expressing that we are not on the same page. We are not okay. There's something between us here, but it's done in a very like under, under the radar type of indirect way. But if you give it enough time, those indirect expressions manifest themselves and they become direct expressions, right? They become things like slander and gossip and confrontation that's not healthy in the body of Christ. The point is simply this, is, is that, you know, you see these stories all over the news and, you know, they have all these like, I, I don't understand this, like, I have family members that are fascinated with all these like murder documentaries and different things or like, you know, the making of a serial killer. I'm like, no, why would you want to, die? you know, whatever. But, but here's, here's the thing that you learn when, when, you, when you study people who have murdered other people. The only times where people murder someone in a moment is called a crime of passion right? It's because they've walked in on their spouse who is cheating on them and they black out, they lose their mind and they murder somebody. There's no premeditation there. It is a crime in the moment. It is a crime of passion. But any other type of murder is a premeditated type of murder, which means simply this, that a woman who murders her husband, she doesn't just wake up on Tuesday and just like, man, I got a crick in my neck. I need a new pillow. I think I may kill my husband tonight. That's, that's not how it happens. It begins when a woman allows bitterness to take root. 
that bitterness turns into an inner rage, that rage turns into a settledness of anger in her soul, then there's indirect expressions and then ultimately a direct expression of her taking her husband's life. It doesn't just happen in a moment. And so for us as Christian believers, we've got to cut this sucker off early on in the process so we don't murder a bunch of people, okay? So we need to catch this thing in the very beginning stages when, when it's just like trying to take, this is why scripture, the writers talk about, don't allow a root of bitterness to take root, right? It's because the writer knows that if you allow that to take root, it's going to grow and become something that you don't want it to become, right? The word bitterness is, is translated pikra, and it's related to the word, we, we call it pikric acid, right? And this particular type of acid, it is something that's sharp and it's penetrating. It can cut through a number of different elements that you wouldn't think an acid should be able to cut through. But another part of this particular acid is it is explosive if it meets with the right chemicals. This is the word that Paul is talking. This is the, the root word is the root word that's connected to bitterness. And this is what he's saying. He's saying that bitterness can eat your soul away. And if you don't take care of it in time, it can be something that explodes. I mean, these writers, God really knew what he was doing when he had these writers write scripture. It's really an amazing thing. So the point is simply this. Division is very rarely neutral. Conflict almost never stays neutral. It either grows or it dies. If something is not dying inside of you that you're frustrated with other people, don't let it grow too far without dealing with the situation, if that makes sense, okay? So the question is, so how do we deal with it? Let's get super practical, okay? Matthew 18, Jesus is talking here, and he, again, he's talking about um, when, when someone sins against another person. But he gives us this beautiful depiction of how we should deal with other people when either they fall into sin or they sin against us or they've, they've frustrated us or whatever the case is. This is what he says in Matthew 18, 15. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two other people along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. If they refuse to listen even to the church, tell them as you would, a, excuse me, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector, okay? Now, let's work through this bit by bit, okay? Number one, this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, if you have interpersonal conflict with somebody, address the situation privately. Don't talk to your friends about it. Don't talk to your coworkers about it. Go to the person individually. You may want to go to other people to seek wisdom. How do I approach this person? What should I say? What should I not say? But you go to this person privately and in a spirit of humility. This is one thing I've learned. When I've had to deal with situations like this where someone, where I'm, I'm basically not in the wrong at all, but someone has done something and I need to call them out on it and, and deal with it, what I have typically learned is that most people, when I go in into this with an attitude of humility and a heartfelt disposition of, listen, my brother, I just want to make things right. Like, I don't want to keep, like, this tension, you've sensed it. I don't want to keep going like this. I want things to be right. 
9.9 times out of 10, there's a receptivity there on the other side of the conversation. So it's all about how we approach it. And Jesus says, the first time you go, go by yourself, go alone and try to handle the situation. Uh, having the discussion in private may clear up any misunderstandings, okay? When I was 22, I went into youth ministry, okay? I had no, no real training outside of volunteering at you know, my, my youth ministry at, at home. And uh, I went into youth ministry, it was a large ministry, had no idea what I was doing. And I went in and I had these incredible volunteers and I had one set of volunteers, they were parents. Now I was 22, they were probably in their late 30s at that point. And I remember one particular night, the spirit of God was moving in a powerful way. And it was one of those moments where like, you know, in, in worship and I'm like, I, I really don't know what to do right now. Like, I'm not sure, should I just cut this off and go preach, you know, whatever, or should I just let this go? Or should we call for prayer? Or should we, you know, I didn't know what to do. And so I'm, I'm walking around the room and as I see our leaders around the room, I'm going to them and I'm just simply, I'm, I'm saying pray. And what I'm saying is I'm saying, pray that I'll know what to do. Pray that God will accomplish whatever he wants to accomplish in the lives of our students. Just pray. And so I'm going around, I'm saying, pray, pray, pray. And I walk around. The next day I get an email and it is from a woman and she's one of our youth leaders. And she writes me this long email and she is basically saying, Corey, I don't know why you would come to me and tell me to pray like I don't know how to pray. I pray all the time. And she started like building out, you know, how often she prays and all this kind of thing. And I was just like, what the heck, like what the heck just happened, you know? And so, uh, but that was, a, that was a moment of passion for her, I guess. She was just like, ah! you know, but, but the point is, is that I called her. I was like, I'm done with the email. I'm going to call her. So I called her. And, and I said, ma'am, I, I am so sorry. This is a 100%, this is a misunderstanding. And I explained to her what was going on in the service. And I explained to her what I was trying to communicate. Now I communicated poorly. Okay, I should have said, please pray for yada, yada, yada. But I just simply said, pray. And so I was able to explain myself. And by the end of it, she was like, I feel so dumb. I'm so sorry that I misunderstood what was going on. I was like, no, this is on me. You know what I mean? And that woman became one of our strongest youth leaders. I'm not talking for a couple of years. I'm talking for 10 years that we were there. She was intricately a part of the youth ministry. Her and her husband came to visit us when we moved up here uh, for a weekend. They were at my daughter's wedding last. I mean, we're still friends. We talk all the time. They're incredible people. But my point is simply this, is that that one moment of misunderstanding could have cost not only a fruitful ministry for this woman, but it could have cost long, lifelong relationships right? And so she did the right thing. And she came to me privately and said, listen, I need to deal with this. Now I've dealt with other parents who did not think that was the right thing to do. Instead of coming to me directly, they went to my boss directly and they told them all the things that I was doing wrong. That's not the way to handle conflict. The way to handle conflict is to go to the person first privately. This can be done in a thousand different ways, right? Um, this can be done in, in email the way that, you know, she did. Uh, I think it's better to have a conversation with someone over the phone or over lunch or in a meeting so that you can read their disposition. You can hear their tone. 
all of these types of things. I, I, I'm a big believer in writing letters, especially if there's a big conflict, simply because I wanna be able to pour out my heart on paper. I wanna make sure that my words are measured so that nothing can really be misunderstood. I can kind of cross the T's and dot all the I's. So I'm a big believer in, in things like that. The point is, is that you need to be wise and prayerful and ask the Lord to give you discernment Father, how do I approach this? You know, uh, don't just go in with guns blazing. But the point is, is that we address the situation personally and privately the first time, okay? If they won't hear you, okay, Jesus says this. Now, this is big. Jesus says, address the situation with caring friends, right? So a second meeting, okay, calling for a second meeting, to the other person, this may communicate like, hey, this is kind of a big deal. Like, this is very serious to me. I need to deal with the situation. But I'm simply going to say this. This needs, to, this needs to be cloaked in prayer. This needs to be cloaked with wisdom from spiritual leaders. Because the default for most of us, if you have come to deal with the situation and I've kind of written you off, if you come back to me with like two other dudes, okay, I'm instantly on the defense, right? And so we've got to be super measured and super wise in how we do. Um, that This needs to be a mutual friend, someone who's objective, someone who cares about that other person, uh, someone who is there to help the situation not take your side in the situation. So it's very, very important that we be super wise with this um, and, and we've got to, we've got to ask ourselves the conversation. Like, this is a good point. If they didn't hear me the first time, we've got to ask ourselves the hard questions. Like one of the hard questions is this, um, why do I keep going back to this person? Why can't we get this resolved? Is it because they're being difficult or is it because I want to win? Okay. If, if like they're not being difficult, but they're not, they're just not saying what you want them to say that may just be because you want to win. And, and that's not productive. Um, what we ask around, you know, the church office all the time when we're dealing, you know, in our pastoral meetings and there are, you know, issues within the church or leadership or whatever the case is, one of the primary questions that we ask over and over and over again is the way that I'm dealing with this situation, the way that I plan to deal with this situation, is it going to be redemptive? Not for me. Is it going to be redemptive for the other person? right? And if it's not, I need to take a step back, breathe, and recalibrate so that I can make sure I'm walking in a spirit of redemption, okay? And then finally, Jesus said this. He said, if they won't listen to you privately, if they won't listen when you bring friends, you need to take the situation to the church, okay? Now, let me tell you what that does not mean, okay? <laughs> that does not mean grabbing a mic on a Sunday morning, when there are 940 people in the auditorium and like, listen, the other night, Gene said this to me and I tried to reconcile. And then me and Betty Jo went back to her and she is so hard-headed, she would not listen. So I need the church to make a judgment. Who's right, who's wrong? That's not what the church means. Listen to me say this. There are churches that operate that way. And I'm telling you, I think, I think it's sinful to operate in that way. Um, so this is what Jesus is really getting at. He's not saying take it to the church in that sense. What he's talking about is take it to spiritual leadership. Take it to the church. In other words, the head of the church. 
Take it to those who have spiritual authority. This is a person who is a respected leader. This is a, you know, and, and this doesn't have to be a pastor. This could be a life group leader or an elder, someone who is revered in the eyes of, of all people. Take it to that person, again, not to win, but just to say, what am I doing wrong? How can I do this better? I really need to make reconciliation with this person. And so, you know, I, I, I think that if we're not careful, um, we can skip a lot of those steps or we can just basically stop at number one, right? And I get it. Listen, Jesus was talking to people in a completely different culture than we're a part of, right? But listen, it's still the word of God. He's talking to his people and he's saying, this is how the people of God function. They don't just let things fester. They deal with things. They move forward in love and humility. But then number four, this is what he says, and this is hard, okay? He says, if they won't even listen to the church, and, and again, Jesus is specifically talking about unrepentant sin in this context, okay? He's not talking about conflict. If they won't even listen to the church and they continue in their unrepentant sin, you need to treat them as you would an unbeliever, as a pagan, right? Now, let me say this little caveat because this could be totally misunderstood on so many levels. This is not a decision that a person typically makes. This is a decision that church leadership makes, okay? And that's not like a hierarchy type of, you know, control type thing. That's the way that God has designed it. If that were the case, we'd have people that say, well, I tried three times, they're not listening, they're a heathen, you know, and then all of a sudden we got chaos because, no, this is why, you know, Jesus is saying this, this, if it escalates, this is how it needs to escalate. But let me just simply say this. I think that is so rare in the body of Christ. I think we should, it should be one of the absolute very last things that we ever do to our brother or sister is to treat them like a pagan. That is if they are in unrepentant, unremorseful, if they are stepping away from the faith, treat them like that, right, is basically what Jesus is saying. So usually, again, this has to do with somebody who's like embracing a false gospel, okay, somebody who's just, you know, gone off the deep end. Um, so I highly don't, please don't start treating people like pagans because they won't <laughs> make things right with you, okay, that's not what he's saying. Okay, now, very, very quickly, and we're not going to be able to get to our second session tonight, but that's okay. I, I kind of assume we weren't going to. Um, here's, here's, here's some questions we need to ask. When should I address an issue? Okay. Here's some questions that I think are good to bring up when your heart has been offended. Number one is this. Is this something that can be overlooked without bitterness taking root in my heart? Okay. In other words, can I just let this go? It, does, it, does it really require me to deal with the situation? Listen, we've all met folks like this, right? Who like, they just like, it's like they draw conflict. You know what I'm saying? They, there's always an issue between them and somebody else. We're not really sure what's going on. We've got, we've got to remember the writer of Proverbs. This is what he wrote. He said, good sense makes a person slow to get angry. And it is his glory to overlook an offense. The Lord is saying, listen, you know, the more you walk in spiritual maturity, the less offended you should be about silly things, right? But hey, listen, we're all in a journey. 
And so maybe you're not mature in the Lord yet and other things do if that's fine. But I think the question we should always ask, is this something I can let go of? Or is, am I afraid this is gonna produce bitterness? Well, if you're afraid of it, it doesn't matter how minor it is, you need to deal with it, right? We need to go ahead and we need to do it. Um, some people just have a bad day and they just need a pass, you know? Uh, the other day, I, um, I, uh, one of the pastors, we, we were, it was a Monday after a long weekend. I don't even know everything that was going on. And uh, they said something to me or asked me something or whatever. And I was like super short with them. I like, I didn't snap at them, but I was just super short with them. And for like three hours, I was just like, you're such an idiot. Like, why, why? Couldn't you just like not say anything, you know? And so I went to the person later that afternoon. I said, man, I am so sorry. And they were like, what are you talking about? And I was like, well, I, I was short with you. And they were like, no, you were totally fine. And I was like, no, well, listen, in my heart, I was aggravated. And so I need you to forgive me, okay? Um, but, but the point is simply this, is that that brother just looked at it and he was like, hey, it's not a big deal. And it's to his glory that he was able to overlook the offense that I had created, right? And so we need to begin to ask those questions. Can I just overlook it without it causing bitterness in my heart? Number two, is this issue something that's dishonoring to the Lord? Okay, now hear me out with this. Does this person, does, does a person in your life group, do they just have like a nasty attitude every time they show up? They're just negative and they're like, you know, rude to people and all these kind of things. Is it something that's dishonoring the people of God, but also dishonoring the Lord in a certain way? Or maybe it's a brother, and sister, or brother or sister in Christ that you work with and they have a terrible work ethic. Well, listen to me, a bad work ethic is offensive to the Lord. Right, And so there are certain things you need to say, well, Father, if this offends you, I need to maybe have a conversation with them about it. Or maybe they're a Christian and they're you know, in blatant sin or they're, you know, they use really horrible language when they're outside of the church or whatever. Maybe this is something that's offensive to the Lord and I need to go in and gently try to restore them or gently deal with that um, on behalf of the Lord. Uh, you say, well, can't the Holy Spirit deal with a person? Well, absolutely. And we trust God he will do that. But oftentimes, God uses his people to help others in situations. But we got to remember what Paul says, those of you who are mature in the Lord, gently restore those who have fallen. Number three, is this something that is damaging your relationship with the person? Okay, so if they are gossiping about you, then that's damaging your relationship with the person. If they're slandering you, that's, that's do, you know, whatever. Or maybe, um, you know, it's a marital relationship. Uh, let's say that, you know, I, I know this isn't true, but let's just say Pastor Justin is married to Miss Angela. And let's say that Angela is just demeaning her husband, you know, with her girlfriends and stuff like that and just tearing him down and all this kind of thing. Well, listen to me, that, that's something that's damaging her relationship with her husband. And if I'm a sister of Angela and I've heard her talk like this, I need to go to Angela and say, sweetie, what's, what's going on? Let's talk about this. Are you okay? Can we do anything to help? I need to bring it to the light so that these things can be dealt with. Number four, is this something that is hurting other people, right? So for instance, let's say that you have someone who is in your life group and you notice that they have a very, they are married, but they have a very flirtatious relationship with someone else, right? That's, that's not their spouse. Well, you realize 
that this is going to hurt their spouse when they find out. And as a Christian brother, I'm going to see that and I'm not going to let that slide. I'm going to go call that man of God up to be a man of God to his wife and not to other women. And so I'm going to go and I'm going to stand in the gap before, for her without her ever knowing. And I'm going to say, you know, what's going on in this situation? Or if I'm, you know, in, in a situation where I feel like um, I, I'm seeing someone that's close to me and they're just manipulating their children or somebody else in their family, whatever the case is, and I see that, like, manipulation is strong. It's like the Jedi. The force is strong within them. The manipulation is strong within them. Um, you know, I need to, to be a person who's willing to go and to say, listen, this, you know this isn't okay. And listen to me, we're not talking about creating a bunch of sheriffs around Christian life, okay? That's not what I'm saying. Like, you're deputized, you're deputized. That's not what this is, okay? I'm just simply saying that Jesus envisioned a body of believers that were willing to be honest with each other, that were willing to have conversations with each other. And listen to me say this, that were willing to receive that correction without leaving the church, or without leaving the group or leaving, you know, whatever the case may look like. So is this something that's hurting other people? Number five, and finally, is this something that's hurting the offender? Um, if you have a, a, a friend or a, a brother or sister in Christ and they are drinking in excess, you know, and there may be times where they're, you know, crossing the line and they're getting drunk or whatever, uh, that, that's a moment of confrontation. Why? Because it's hurting them. It's going to hurt their friendships. It's definitely going to hurt their relationship with the Lord, but it's ultimately going to hurt them. And so as a good brother, I want to step in, not in a judgmental way, but in a loving, caring, kind way. Hey, man, let me come alongside you. What can I do to help? That type of thing. But I need to make sure that I'm doing it the right way. Okay. Now, Here's how I want to, I want to uh, wrap this up and then I want to pray for you and we'll, we'll let you head out. There are times when sin is not involved in your conflict. I know a lot of what I talked about, it's like sin in a person's life, but sometimes conflict, sometimes nobody's in sin. It's just conflict, Right. And that should be the easiest type of conflict to resolve, okay? Sometimes it's just conflict, but sometimes it's conflict that's so severe that it's the long game type of resolution, okay? And we've got to be able to have long-term reconciliation and the patience to be able to endure something like that instead of just writing somebody off because you can't get things figured out within two weeks, okay? Let me give you a great example. I grew up in, right outside of Pensacola, Florida, and when I was a teenager, some of you may remember the Brownsville Revival was in full swing in the 90s. And this was, if you're not familiar, it was an incredible move of God. Millions of people flocked to the panhandle of Florida from all around the world. Uh, they were on every major news outlet multiple times throughout the years. Um, it, was a, it was a genuine, authentic move of God. There was nothing manufactured about it. It was a genuine move, a sovereign move of God. Well, what Brownsville decided to do a few years into the revival is they wanted to erect a school of ministry. And so they did that, and they hired a man named Dr. Michael Brown. Some of you may be familiar with him. He's based out of uh, North Carolina now. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, 
they had the school and it was thriving and uh, there were hundreds of students. I think there were six or 700 students at the time. Well, in the year 2000, there was a fallout between Michael Brown and John Kilpatrick, which was the overseeing pastor for the revival. There was a major falling out. It had to do with the theology of leadership and what oversight looked like. And, you know, there were some issues of, you know, this is too controlling and no, there's not enough accountability and all this kind of thing. And there was a major falling out. And I don't mean like a, like a, well, brother, you know, we'll be fine. We'll just deal with it later. No, it was a major falling out. It hit the newspapers. I mean, it was, uh, it was just crazy. So Michael Brown, he decided, you know what? That's fine. We can't figure this out. So I'm just going to leave the school and I'm going to go plant a school down the road, right? And he did that. That's exactly what he did. And he called it the Fire Institute. And so Brownsville had a school of, of ministry going at the same time. And of course, their attendance drastically reduced because uh, this other school had been planted, you know, right down the road or right down the road within 20 minutes. And there was just this heated exchange and like this lack of willingness to make reconciliation. Now that they were, they were just, I mean, it got, it got pretty gnarly. But what ended up happening is that over the course of two years, these two men decided, and there were others involved, there was the board of elders involved and all these types of things, but over the course of two years, these men decided that even though they may have needed like six months or a year where they're just not gonna talk to each other about this, they both determined in their heart, at some point we're going to do the long game and make reconciliation with one another, right? And ultimately what ended up happening is both the schools ended up shutting down and Dr. Michael Brown, he did ministry elsewhere and you know the church continued on everything. But I wanna read to you the statement that was released between these two men exactly two years after their initial split, okay? This is just a portion of it, you can find it online. This is what they sent to their, um, the, the local body at, at Brownsville. On December 12th, 2002, Pastor John Kilpatrick and Dr. Michael L. Brown met privately for three hours for the purpose of reconciliation. Notice the purpose was not to prove their points. The purpose was to reconcile the relationship. As a result of that meeting, they have issued the following joint statement. We are pleased to announce that a complete and total reconciliation has taken place between us. We have no outstanding issues, nor is there a hint of bitterness or unforgiveness between us. We fully bless one another, and we fully bless one another's respective churches, schools, and ministries. We know that many believers were deeply hurt by the breach that took place exactly two years ago, and because of that, we ask the forgiveness of the body of Christ worldwide and the forgiveness of the body in Pensacola in particular. We desire to be examples of unity and grace, not division and strife. And as the Holy Spirit has indeed done a supernatural work, and there is not a hint of ill will between us and a real sense of friendship and trust has been totally restored 
we pray that the Holy Spirit will work supernaturally in the hearts of all those who have been wounded by the separation. May healing and grace be released. Now, that is obviously a very unique situation, right? But I will say this, I have had situations in my life, in my family, that required the long game for reconciliation. There were times where forgiveness would be granted and conversations would be had, but six months later when we got back together or saw each other or heard from each other, there were things still under the surface that kind of rose up and then we'd have to start back over and work towards reconciliation. And so it was like, you know, you'd have to chip away at this thing until the long game. And literally there have been relationships in my life that, you know, for 10 years, there has been, every time we get together, I'm like, I'm not sure what it's gonna be like this time, you know? But I thank God that through the process of humility and the diligence of trying to understand one another and not giving up on a relationship and, and pressing in and pressing on and asking the Spirit of God to work in my heart and work in their heart, that I've seen what I believe is a full reconciliation and a normalized relationship in, in my life, you know? And when I read like Dr. You know, Brown and, and Pastor Kilpatrick, when I read this, there's not any part of me that's skeptical about the purity of their words that they've written. And the reason I think I'm not skeptical is because I knew how deep the divide went and I know how long it took for this to take place. And I'm simply saying this, sometimes that's what it requires. But I do think it's important we understand that that is usually the exception, not the rule, okay? But there are often times where I have seen folks who will be offended about something that's not really life penetrating or very, very deep and they will cut someone off for six or eight months. Friends, that is not the way of the Lord. That is not the way that Jesus instructed us. That is not the heart of God. We need to be people who make every effort to remain at peace with one another. Amen.